What it do, everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of Open Run presented to you by War Media. My name is Gabriel Wilkins, and you know who I'm alongside to discuss all of the latest action around the basketball world, and that is none other than my co-host and senior insider here at War Media when it comes to all things involving hoops and Josh Hicks. We got another All-Star Weekend officially in the books. How are you feeling as we record this installment of Open Run at the top of another week? Feel pretty good, man. Feel pretty good. Ain't no complaining over here too much until we get later on in the show. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know a lot of people had gripes with this All-Star Weekend, and I, I kind of hate to admit it, but I, I get some of them. I definitely do, and it was a lot of hot chatter after the game amongst some coaches and players as well. But in this week's edition of Open Run, me and Josh will take some time to recap all that transpired in the city known as Salt Lake during NBA All-Star Weekend, and also go about taking a slight moment to reflect on ones from yesteryear, sharing our top All-Star Weekends ever, on top of also discussing recent moves to take shape on the buyout market and what to look forward to is we are about to enter the home stretch of the 22-23 NBA season. However, before we do so, let's take out the time to show some gratitude and appreciation for the icons of the game as part of our Hoops Shoutout segment on Open Run. Special kudos go out to Chicago's own and former All-Star and three-time NBA champ Dwayne Wade, Pal Gasol, Dirk Nowinski, Tony Parker, and Greg Popovich, Gene Cady, Becky Hammond, alongside of Jennifer Azai for being selected as the finalists among players and coaches for enshrinement into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame this past weekend at the NBA All-Star Festivities as the following eight names get just one step closer towards making their way to Springfield, Massachusetts, in addition to a pair of players already in the Hall of Fame who starred on the 92 Dream Team and squared off against one another just months later in the NBA Finals approximately 30 years ago in Charles Barkley and Michael Jordan, who each celebrated their 60th birthday over this past weekend as Jordan reached his 60th on the 17th of February, while Barkley would do the exact same just two days later. So with all of that out the way, what are some storylines that weren't related to the all-star game that stood out to you the most over the last several days across the hoops landscape, Josh, you know, a lot has transpired over these last 72 hours, but you had Adam Silver have his state of the union address. If you like to call in the NBA among a few other news stories that came out, what, what stood out to you? Man, I think honestly, what stood out to me is the fact that, um, Waking up today and realizing that Marquette is number 10 in the country. That was a okay. very good uh, smile. I mean, it brought a big smile to my face, considering that family is representing on, on the, uh, further up north. Uh, so I appreciate that. Um, and, I'm, you know, and I appreciate uh, the, the success that Marquette is having, man. It's very, very special to watch. And they're a fun team to watch. Definitely going to be big. Uh, a big team to look forward to, not just from the Big East tournament perspective, but March Madness as a whole, as obviously we expect them to uh, potentially have a pretty good seed uh, going into uh, that big, that big, that big tourney that get, that you know, has everyone's attention. 
Oh, for sure. It's always good to see Marquette back on top and in the top 10 representing Midwest. Well, I know your cousin Cam Jones has been doing his thing, playing a part in that resurgence, as well as the head coach himself, Shaka mm-hmm. Smart, and being that Wisconsin native and taking pride and coming back home and resurrecting that program. That's positive. But speaking of programs that have resurrected themselves and went from a place where they were considered to be a doormat, if not dead, about 15 years ago to now back atop of the AP top 25, and that's the Houston Cougars. Mm -hmm. This was a team that had a lot of high expectations coming into the year, following a run in the Elite Eight just a season ago, and in the previous season losing the national semifinal round to Baylor. What Kevin, what Kelvin Sampson has managed to do there is remarkable. The top recruits that he's starting to come get and, and, and he's churning them out is looking like the program used to back in the 80s during the Five Slammer Jamma era when they yeah. had the future Hall of Famers at the time and Clyde Drexler and Akeem Olajuwon on campus. You add all of this on top of the fact that Houston's already been a hotbed for hoops and and producing guys to come into the league within that metropolitan area and the fact that they're going to have the Final Four this year. And you got to think that these guys have a reason to play for something that's far bigger than just the name in front of their jersey. They playing for the city. And that's one of their mottos, you know, for the city. And what Jarris Walker's been able to do as a freshman, I can't wait to see him in March Madness cook up. They got a real talented team, man. And to get back there after some of the shortcomings they had the early season, lost to Alabama when they were ranked number one, and to defeat Memphis yesterday, of course, you know, taking advantage of some help along the way. But that's just real cool to see. And another story that stood out to me is NBC Sports. Yeah. Reportedly trying to get the NBA back. And with all of the mergers and acquisitions that's happened with these television networks and with Turner now being owned by Warner Brothers Discovery, you it kind of makes you wonder, are we witnessing the end of an era? Because you have these higher-ups saying that Turner doesn't need the NBA anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be kind of hard to fathom that a network that has practically been involved with the NBA since my inception in 40 years, you know, total plus like it it feels as though we witnessing the end of an era and we're coming into an age where you might see some relationships being rekindled when it comes to these new TV negotiations, when they're Mm -hmm. set to come about, but then what does that mean in the long term? With streaming and things, you know, it just goes to show you how the game is changing and how for everything that we consider to be traditional and stuff that is near and dear to our heart, it fades and you got to bring in the new. And I'm interested to see what that leads to, because if they're able to get it back, that would be interesting. I don't know how they would work that, but it seems like we're, going into a decade or era NBA basketball where you're going to start to see more than just three networks showcasing NBA games. 
<laughs> you might as well you, i'm excited for it man and i really hope it does happen um I, and i just just me obviously as a basketball fan growing up it was nothing like watching you know the alan iversons the kobe bryant's the shaquille o'neal's and you knowing on a sunday uh even on a sunday afternoon when the big games are on the biggest stages of that NBC, uh, NBL, NBC, NBC, you know, you just, you hear that theme song, you hear that intro and you, you know, it was about to go down that day. I, I'm, I'm hoping to see if they were to rekindle that and bring, uh, bring the NBA back to NBC, you bring the original theme song. You might even see a couple of people, uh, you know, we used to do those shows back in the day, come back for a little bit, they'll at least get things moving. I, like you said, it, it, it'll be interesting to see where the direction goes, but if it does happen, as long as you bring me the theme song, for me, I can be all right with it. I need the theme song. It's not the same without the theme song that helped make that era such a mogul type of era for that network and for a lot and for pretty much our generation, man, like in generations before. So I just hope that we can rekindle that part for sure. I really hope we can do that because I think Fox Sports is is doing that right now. It's play, it's yeah, they sold it. Yeah, so I, I don't know how to feel about that, but that's another discussion. So I just hope <laughs> we can rekindle that and be good to go. But I'm, but yeah, that's that's definitely something that um, will be very interesting if it really does happen. It sounds like they're making a strong bid for it. And I feel like they got to bring round ball rock back because you know mm-hmm. you're not the only one that feel that way. It's a lot of people we know that feel that way and beyond who if they were to see the NBA on NBC all over again, like old times, they definitely would have to bring that back. And they probably would have to bring back some guys that made that network what it was in the coverage of the NBA so grand including the players themselves to maybe, you know, do some work as analysts and so forth. Like I'm, I'm very intrigued by that. I am. And with all of these other companies coming to the forefront, such as Apple, Amazon, it mm-hmm. could be a totally new era as we know it. And we might get to the point where we're seeing primetime games on a Monday night after football season. Yeah. Not just on Tuesday, Thursday, where we're, you know, looking up. We already know about the ESPN Wednesday, ESPN Friday package. But, man, like, you might have a major game on national TV every week. And even though you had that already with NBA TV, the production is not the same with NBA TV compared to these networks. So, Mm -hmm. remains to be seen, but definitely something that caught my eye. And I feel like a lot of people need to keep their eyes on going forward but i want to get into this nba all-star weekend man pelicans guard jose alvarado he took home mvp honors in the rising stars game helping team paul led by the head coach paul gasol former nba great he led them to the trophy in that event over team joaquin noah led by joaquin noah y'all everybody in chicago pretty sure they know who he is don't need no introduction while Team Utah led behind guards Colin Sexton, Jordan Clarkson, and the young big man and Walker Kessler managed to take home the skills challenge over the rookies and Team Giannis to kick things off on Saturday night. Had Damian Lillard put on a spectacular show in the three-point contest, which helped him to advance and knock off a pair of Indiana Pacers 
in his all-star peer, Tyrese Halliburton and Marksman Buddy Hill in the finals to become the first player in Portland Trailblazers history to win the event. But on the night where the stars came to shine on Saturday, it was the young one in Mike McClung who did so under the brightest of lights, taking home the trophy in the slam dunk competition and doing so rather smoothly in spite of a valiant effort from Pelicans forward Trey Murphy III, all the while becoming the first sixer to ever win the contest after receiving a two-way call-up from the G League to kick off last week, despite having not played in an NBA game this season. But as we know, in the exhibition, where the best of the best got together in the NBA's ultimate pickup game, Jason Tatum would give the fans a show unlike any other, pouring in an all-star game record, 55 points, a double nickel on 31 shots while adding 10 boards and six dimes to cap off a majestic performance en route to leading Team Giannis to a nine-point win against Team LeBron to become the first Celtics player since Larry Bird in 41 years to take home the game's MVP award. So, got to ask you, man, I thought the weekend started off rather solid in spite of, you know, a lot of the game's top stars, such as Curry, Durant, being out of action due to injury. And you could even include Giannis in that because he didn't really play much at all. He only just, you know, got to dunk up and, got out after spraining his right wrist. You know, like the the weekend didn't end the way that we thought it would compared to the way that it started. And it really seemed like it was a lethargic weekend all around in Salt Lake City. What's your thoughts on everything that transpired this year under those lights at All-Star, man? Um, Two things. One, the All-Star game isn't what it used to be. And two, Utah's not a good place to host a BET concert. <laughs> yeah, uh, that halftime show. <laughs> that, yeah, that just wasn't <laughs> wasn't, a, wasn't the right audience for that one. wasn't the right city for that one. But, um, yeah, that All-Star game just wasn't the same. It, it was great when you talk about the early on of the early on in the game, you had a little you had the normal flares, you had the normal um the oohs and ahs that come with it. You know, there's and it was entertaining. But it the the game should get to a point where there's still some type of a competitive fire that comes with it. Because you're talking about the best 24 players of this year in the league playing against each other on one stage. You should be able to experience what each of those players have to offer on a competitive stage like that and we really didn't see that it was a lot of it was very um you know i want to say lazy but very you know laid back you could do pretty much whatever you wanted no defense whatsoever um and it just took away the competitive fire that you would see i mean when you think about former players like Kobe Bryant before he passed talk about how the game needs to change because that competitive fire is missing. You know, it's stuff like that. Like there's some truth to that. And Kobe was really one of the main reasons why competitive games and all-star games were competitive. And recently Giannis was one of the main players that made those games so competitive because of his hard work that he would play 
in, in, in each of the games. But when you don't have that, someone that can actually just kind of monitor and lead in those efforts, set the tone for the games like that, you're gonna it's, it's, you're gonna lose this flavor a little bit, and the All Star game this year lost a little flavor. Um, so I wish it was a little bit more competitive, it was more defensive, more intriguing. Um, but it just it really just seemed like you was really playing. They took pickup basketball to the T <laughs> when you when you talk about the actual game itself, and that just wasn't to me as good of a product as it could have been. Man, when I look at the All-Star weekend as a whole, yeah, I, I definitely agree about the All-Star game, first and foremost. I, I think the product definitely could have been better. I think that the NBA has tried every initiative possible to make the All-Star game better, to make the All-Star game more competitive. But let's be real. It was a quote that was said after the game from Shea Gilgis Alexander of the Thunder where he discussed what the league could do to make it better. He said he had no complaints, but he said a quote that really stood out to me. Money talks. Mm -hmm. Money talks. I believe that the winner of the All-Star game, they only get like, what a hundred and fifty thousand each player something like, like for yeah for winning the all-star game and i think the losing team only gets like twenty five thousand they're gonna have to start increasing the the winnings to get these players to buy in another thing that they're gonna have to do is something that i don't know if the 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 fans are ready for or the league itself. But if you really want to up the ante, and I've been thinking about this all day, you have to put together a format that's similar to the Rising Stars competition. But instead of doing four teams like they do in the Rising Stars, you need to do six teams. You give your top two vote getters captain spots. The top five vote getters overall, regardless of conference, they get captain spots. That 16, whoever leads that 16, will be a reserve. And that reserve, regardless of the conference, needs to have the most votes. You let them pick their team, and you expand the all-star pool. You go from 24 to 30. You let every team pick five players. Six times five, that's 30. You let, you let the top two teams get first round buys and you let two teams battle out in round one and to honor Kobe like they've been trying to do with that Elam ending because if you notice whoever is the team in the lead they always got to play up to 24 in the fourth quarter mm -hmm. have them play the first round games up to 24 as well as the semifinal round to 24 with the two teams that advance out of round one to face off against the top two voting get getters team and then when you get to that, after the second round, the winners of those games go to the championship, and then the championship play up to 81 in honor of Kobe's career high. That's what's going to have to happen, in my opinion. They're going to they're gonna have to get real creative because these guys are coming to All-Star Weekend really just to chill. 
And I don't think that Utah helped much at all where it was. You could tell, like, dudes was really trying to chill. I, you ain't even really hear nothing about no parties going on in Salt Lake City or Utah. I ain't see no photos uh, on the ground or around Twitter from no parties. But as far as the weekend itself, the young guys came to play. Jose Alvarado took advantage of the stage. Mac McClung took advantage of the stage. But they had reason to. Mm-hmm. You know, we know their names because we hoop heads, but the average casual fan may not. And they even brought this up on ESPN. I was looking on Twitter where Mac McClung pretty much made nearly his annual salary in the G League in one night by winning the slam dunk competition. So he yeah. had an incentive to, to, to show up and show out. You're going to have to get these guys something. And I think it's turned into an event where it used to be a, 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 a proving ground. Mm-hmm. You know, where if you was a new kid on the block or you was the veteran to that new kid, you it either either way, you was like to prove yourself. Yeah. Guys was coming to, to, to make a, a name for themselves, but then the game was different because back in the 2000s, the 90s, the 80s, you didn't see these teams in, the, in some of these players, especially if these players were on like mid to below average teams, you didn't see these players in your face every day. Right. Now they bombarded. And even if you can't watch them play every night in every single game, you have the league pass replays, you have the game highlights. It's not like yesteryear when it's the 2001 all NBA All-Star game, and I'm watching this as an eight-year-old, and I see Stephon Marbury in a New Jersey net uniform mm-hmm. hitting step-back threes over Kobe Bryant to help the East come back from down 20 beside Allen Iverson, who took the MVP that year to knock off the West. It ain't the same no more. It's, just, it's not the same no more, man. And I, and I think it's become an event. It has become an event and guys just show up to conduct business, take care of arrangements that they have on behalf of their business and get a game in and play what at best maybe 10 to 18 minutes, depending on how long you want to play. If you a vet and getting out. And I had a feeling that the game was going to take a turn for the worst on Sunday night when LeBron had to leave due to his finger injury and getting his hand caught in the rim when he tried to go up for a block. Mm-hmm. You know, you already had LeBron trying to play, but then Giannis was out. Those two guys set the tones being captains for the team. Right. And all they, all that game needed was just one player to just set the tone. But to me, the tone was set from the opening tip when Giannis went in for the dunk and checked out due to the sprain right wrist. It looked like guys were trying to make it out healthy. And it looked like guys were really just trying to get up out of Utah as soon as possible. Like one of my guys said, Torrance Stagg, who listens to our show. It, it, it really looked like that. And the league should have more injury replacements on hand because I don't understand why Giannis was able to play in the All-Star game, but yet he couldn't participate in the skills challenge. Like, yeah, make that make sense to me. I, I, I don't get it. And 
that's why I think the all-star pool needs to be expanded. And we're gonna have to we're gonna have to put this out like it's a um a game at the park. That's how we're gonna have to start treating all-star games now, like games at the park. Have a tournament style, no clock, just play to a certain point total and call it a night. Well, let's put it this way. Uncle Drew wouldn't be mad at you. So <laughs> uh I, I so I definitely can see that being taking place, but something has to give. Something definitely, something definitely has to give at this point. And because it's not, it doesn't bring the same excitement as you know, as it once did growing up as a kid. And obviously, I know part of it for sure is definitely location, because I didn't hear much of anything regarding Utah. Utah is not like a a big basketball city or state, et cetera, you know? Um, so it's just, it, it wasn't much to do there. And I think the NBA is realizing and is going to realize that you just can't, I know you're trying to, you know, create parity from an all-star game perspective and location, get everybody a chance to host. But based on where you go, it's going to affect the impact of what it can really bring to the table. And when they, and I think they're going to really realize that since in really in 2020, when the All Star game was here in Chicago, like yeah. they were, they didn't, I don't think they understood the, how, if you bring, if, even though it's a cold city, this is Chicago, you know, we're going to turn that thing out. We turn that thing out. Um, that's a different feel compared to, you know, after that, going to a Cleveland or going to, a, a, you know, a, like a Salt Lake City. I mean, so because of that, I think they're going to be more selective as far as where these All-Star games need to be at consistently year by year because, you know, the time for parity, even though it has, even though it's great, it's not going to be fulfilled at the level where the league really wants it to be because locations do matter when it comes to, you know, like you said, money talks, your bottom dollar. You know, where you have it at is going to impact what that bottom dollar looks like. And, you know, events as well. It should, as much as I love Matt McClung, and I, you know, obviously called him to win the dunk contest. You did. Kudos to you on that. I got to give you your props on that. You did. Yeah. Even though that happened, though, it shouldn't have to take, no disrespect, shouldn't have taken a, take, take a white G leaguer to really put the NBA dunk contest, one of his most iconic events ever, back on the map. It really shouldn't. And I yeah, I think the incentive needs to change so that way you can get actual stars that when you look at, you know, they can really do it. There's no reason why you shouldn't have a John Moran or a Zion Williamson in a dunk contest. This I mean, it's just these are what they these are things that they can do um to help change to help, you know, change the parity of the league like that. So I don't know, man. It's just something that has to give. Something does have to give. I'm not and I love you and I actually like your concept. Uh, from a tournament perspective, I do like that. Got to. Um, yeah, I, I, I like that. Okay, then my next question would be then is, how do you do this from a um, from a All-Star Weekend format perspective? Because you're talking about a tournament. You know, you, you're trying to get this all done in one day. That means that time slot based on- No, you, you don't have to get it done in one day. Yeah. You don't have to get it done in one day. Just make it make the tournament a Sunday night thing. They already filling up time, but let's be real. They filling up time with a bunch of like 
BS sometimes in the mm-hmm. case of like opening performances and stuff like that. To me, if you put together a six team tournament and you have the top five vote getters, regardless of conference, each having to pick five players to run with or four other players, then I think what you prevent is a lot of like super team building type stuff. Not that I'm against that, but we've gotten to the point where I don't know if that works anymore because we let, we let the top two vote getters in their respective conferences pick their teams from the reserves as well as the starters. And I think it worked in 2020 for this reason, before I get into my point further, it worked in 2020 because it was a new format. And then what happened that year? The untimely passing of Kobe Bryant. Right. That gave guys ammo to come and ball out. And I think the crowd being into it like it was here in Chicago amped these guys up. And it made them take their games to another level to where by the time you got to the fourth quarter and the game was close, it was like, okay, we got a game here. But whenever it's not close going into the fourth quarter, most people who watch the All-Star game, especially their casual fans, they're going to either turn off the game or if they with their homies and crew, they leave them. At the set, you know, they, they up. But I, I'm not saying make it an all-in-one-day event. You know, I don't want that. I want that weekend. But on Sunday night, just, just, just let the fans vote for the top 30 players. Take the, take the top or, – or actually, you can let them vote by position if you want, but just whoever is the top five vote-getters, regardless of their position, regardless of their conference, let them pick a team and put and – put, Five dudes on each team led with the captain. They can't sub one another out. You know, that, that would be the, the 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 bonus of it. If I got if I'm a captain, I gotta and I'm on my team, I gotta pick four other dudes. Expand the all-star pool. We've been talking about it for years. 24 is not enough. You had guys like Jalen Brunson who didn't even get a chance to play in this year's event. Yeah. And if you had an expanded pool, I'm pretty sure he would have got in. James Harden as well, who had just as much of a case. Trey Young as well. It was a lot of guys that didn't get a chance to even take part in it. And then these first-time guys, they didn't even play that much in the game. De'Aaron Fox only played like 10 minutes. SGA only played like 15 minutes. But no, it wouldn't be an all-in-one-day event. No, no, no. Do the Friday night Rising Stars, but just take the format that you have from Rising Stars and expand on it for All-Star Weekend. Kind of okay. similar to like what the NHL does with their All-Star game. They have like a, a tournament-style All-Star game, except it's done by divisions. Right. Well, you know, just take the top five vote-getters. Don't make, like, we don't need everybody on the same team. Get the star of the stars to say, I got this guy. I got that guy. If you a top two vote-getter, just give him a first round bye into the semifinal round and let the other four duke it out. Because we don't really respect the reserves the way we do the starters. And sometimes I think that's unfortunate because some of the reserves do deserve to be starters in some cases. And we saw that this year with Joel Embiid, who, if not for injury, 
he wouldn't have been starting. Yeah. But he was deserving of it. I mean, it's it's a lot that's that's wrong with it. And then you talk about, well, you know, it's no reason why John Morant and Zion Williamson shouldn't be in the slam dunk competition. I agree. But look who set the standard. And I and I love LeBron. Yeah. But when you don't see guys who come before you doing it, you don't feel no need to do it. That's real. And then and then everybody nowadays. They got that too cool persona. And then, you know, you could go viral for the for great things and then you go viral for the wrong thing. And not that that would be the wrong thing, but like if they don't perform up to fans' expectation and they feel as though they've let the fans down, a lot of guys may not know how to live with that. And I think in this culture of, of basketball, a lot of guys don't. And that's why they don't do it. It's just like, oh, okay, I'm a chill. You know, I watch the festivities with my guys and stuff like that. Everybody's just too cool to do it. And I, I get that. But as far as the game itself, it, it ain't the game no more in the event, not the event no more. Because I know people who went to all-star games in the early 2000s. And even though it was parties and folks went out and did things, you didn't have these brands as widely involved in it as they are now. Right. Jordan Brand had they little thing, but like you had to be an exclusive dude to get up in that. Right now, no, and no knock on people. I'm not throwing no sneak disses or nothing, but like you could be an influencer in the NBA Twitterverse, and if you hot enough, you can get a pass in some of these events. It's just like a free for all now, and everybody got their camera out. It's 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 different. It's different. It's become a corporate level event. Mm -hmm. As opposed to an event that in order for you to understand what was really going on when it was really golden, you either had to be there or know someone who was there. And that's what's changed about the game and, and, and social media and the rise of modern day technology has just brought all that to the forefront. You ain't lying, brother. You ain't lying, man. It's, it's, Whatever it takes to, for, for things to change has got to change. That, that, that's all I can really say because I was having a lot more fun, not more fun really kicking it with kicking it with other people than watching the game when the game was getting out of hand, man. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I'd rather something has to give. Something definitely has to give. And I, I do like your idea of the, of, of the tournament and everything. But it, I don't know if you saw the report that Milwaukee's putting in a bid. I did. So even if they bring it back to Milwaukee, it may not be Chicago, but it's going to be pretty close because Chicago going to come up north. They're going to drive that hour and a half <laughs> to Milwaukee and get this thing cracking. So I, I wonder if that does happen, how soon it can happen, because that could really be one of those cities in, or all-star weekends that can actually change the demographic of where and the trajectory of where, it could, where, where it's going now. Yeah, and I mean, between you and I, I'm trying to figure out a way to get to Indianapolis next year for it, if yeah. I can. You know, with that not being too far from where we at, where we're at, based in Chicago, I'm I'm thinking about that as well. And I would love to see it in Milwaukee, but regardless of where they hosting these All Star games, man, like some some definitely has to change. And I I hope the NBA listens to what I'm proposing, man. If they are, I would love to get a royalty check off of it because they need all the <laughs> ideas that they could get to make this event dope for the fans, man. And 
like I, I know I've heard some fans say, well, I don't like the fact that players can pick and choose who they draft on a team and whatnot. Like my father was saying that me and him was watching the game. And I typically watch the all-star game by myself and just chill. And I'm like, no, nah, we're not going back to that. You know, mm-hmm. especially after what happened in 2017, this NBA all-star game, I, I must admit it was, it was probably the, the lowliest all-star game I've seen since 2017. And that game also featured a 50 pointer from Anthony Davis who put up 52 in route to the MVP that year in front of his hometown fans at the time in New Orleans when he was with the Pelicans. But I got to ask you real quickly, your thoughts on Mike Malone's post-game remarks. He said this was the worst basketball game that he ever seen played. And that was big to me. Like, what's your thoughts on that? Especially when... You know, typically you don't hear those comments during All-Star Weekend, even if the performance in in the weekend itself didn't always live up to the bill. Um, it's definitely it's definitely significant. Um, I'm I'm not gonna say it was the worst. I'm not gonna say it's the worst, but what I will say is it can be mentioned in the category because what's your standard of an all-star game? I think Mike Malone's standard was the days of old, you know, the competition, the defense, you know, you making a name for yourself. You make, you showing the world that I am the best for a reason. Right. Um, that was non-existent in this, in this year um, at all. It, it was non-existent. And, you know, in the era, and then and even in early eras, I think he understood, like, you know, even though all-star games are going, they're meant to be fun and chill and entertaining, there's still other components of a basketball game that can be implemented into it. And as a for someone like him, we talk about who probably was never an all-star, took the game very serious as a from a coaching perspective, to a point where you have the, the number one team in the in the NBA in the Western conferences for sure you know when you see a certain standard and accustomed to a certain standard and that standard quota is not being met you're gonna ex- you're gonna express the disappointment because your standard of how you would coach the game how you would expect the game to go isn't meeting up to his criteria and I you can say that in a lot of cases this year was a landmark that was kind of moved we can talk about what to expect out of an all-star game. So I'm not saying that, you know, it's the worst because we've seen worse, but I will say you can put it in the same category. It could be, it could be up for debate because of what, because based on what your criteria is for an all-star game and what you look for, for me watching it, it did not live up to the hype that we thought it should have. No, I, I agree with you. It, it definitely didn't live up to the hype. And it doesn't shock me that the comments came from him, considering who his dad is, and former Pistons assistant coach, Brendan Malone, mm. who also coached with the Toronto Raptors back in the day. And when he was coaching with the Pistons, he was the assistant under the late, great Chuck Daly yeah. on those bad boys team that went back to back. So if it's anybody who knows what, the old school all-star games used to look like, I would think it would be 
Mike Malone, who I'm pretty sure when he was coming up as a kid, had his fair share of trials and witnessing Isaiah Thomas and Joe D go at it. And also watching him compete against opposing teams in the league at that time. I, I, I get it. I get it. But I do want to give credit to two guys who had a moment in the game that I do believe deserves to be appreciated. And that were the two legends, or not legends, just yet, but two young guns in the game and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Despite mm-hmm. the fact that they are teammates, they had a little one-on-one session yeah. prior to the conclusion of the third quarter where they tried to bring some energy into the building by going at one another in isolation. I really hope that that moment sticks with the guys that were a part of that event going into next year if they have the opportunity to be a part of it in Indiana. Because to me, that's where or or what all-star competition is truly about, is going at your opponent. And I respected the fact that they did that because they could have easily just laid down against one another, be like, oh, well, you my teammate. I'm going to let you get this dunk. I'm going to let you, you know, just go ahead and lay it up for the, you know, for these two points or whatever, shoot this three. But they was actually going at it. And to me, that spoke volumes. It showed not only why they're two of the best young players in the league, but why they are on a team that many people consider to be the favorite to reach the NBA finals out of the East and so forth. But I mean, I, I, I'm not going to say it was the worst all-star game I ever saw either. I won't say that. I still think the one in 2017 was lackluster because that was the game that forced the league to change the format of the all-star game as we mm-hmm. know it, but it was definitely close. And I, I wonder did the, the players do this as sort of like a protest to some of the stuff that's happened in Utah. Cause if we know anything about Utah, as much as they love, they jazz them fans. If you on the visiting team, they not really easy on you at all. Right. Let alone friendly with you. And guys don't forget that. So that's just the memo to Salt Lake City. You know, no disrespect to Utah on this on this pod, but like a lot of stars have not spoken of Utah too fondly. So that like as you we said earlier, that may have played a role in it. But I want to ask you, what what were your thoughts on the All-Star live draft? which was the first time that was ever done. Did they, I feel like they tried to duck the fade a little bit, putting the reserves, uh, uh, picking the reserves first, followed by the starters to avoid some scenario where if someone got picked last or whatever. Like, what, what was your thoughts on that? No, I agree with that. Um, I overall enjoyed it. Okay. I thought it was cool uh, that they were able to do it in the setting that they did it in. Um you know, having Ernie Johnson kind of be like the NBA commissioner and, and everything yeah. like that for that dra- for that uh, process. I thought that was cool. Um, you know, and it was it was some entertaining components to it. Giannis is hilarious, man. Uh you gotta appreciate what what he what his approach to even events like that um for the game, man. It, it's special to watch and special to see. But and it kept you guessing. That's what I loved about it, is it kept you guessing. You never got to see 
exactly where people go. You get you get to sit there wonder, oh, who was going to pick next? Like in the live setting, like that. I thought overall it was a pretty good concept. I, I liked it. Um, yeah, they definitely played a PR move and making sure the reserves went first instead of the starters. Um, yeah, they did. So no one, you know, no one feels bad or left out. But you know, at the end of the day. Oh, and they got it, they got it right for the most part. But I do wish they actually switched that component and made the starters first and then the reserves last. So that way, you know, you can treat it like any other, just like any other uh, you know, pickup game that you want to that you want to do. Um, that's how it is. That's why it is when it was when we growing up, you know, you just gotta have thick skin if you was picked last, <laughs> you know. Uh, and to be honest with you, being picked last, if we were to go that way. Could have actually kind of could have been motivation to kind of help save this All Star game. Um, That's true. If you really want to go that far, That's true. Because <laughs> it was because it wasn't like it was always you know it was it was you know, we've already talked about how good the game really was. So that could have changed a lot of things too, or it could have helped it at least. But overall, I, I, overall, I, I was cool with it. it. It was it was cool with me. Who's your thoughts with Jokic, man? Like Jokic kind of. Forrest LeBron to pick him as the second to last pick. And, I, and the reason why I asked that question to you is because this is a guy who is on pace to win his third straight MVP award. Mm-hmm. And he was the second to last pick among the starters. What was your thoughts on that? And why do you think that that was? He said, According to Mike Malone in his post-game press conference, that he didn't intend to walk off the stage immediately. He thought that he was the last guy on the board. And he yeah. apologized to Lori Marketing after the fact because he kind of left him up there, you know, standing alone. But he because he, he thought yeah, he was the last pick, but he wasn't. He was the second to last pick. But what's your thoughts on that when you consider the fact that this guy is putting up a near triple double? And in spite of all this, he's a guy who is not top 10 in jersey sales. He's not really a popular player. It's not knocking him as a player. We know he's a, a star in the league. But w- w- what was your thoughts just on that as a whole? Not surprising because it shows where the GMs of the game, right? Um, it shows where their minds are at. Also, star games will be fun and entertaining. Supposed to be fast paced, supposed to be running. It's supposed to be a lot of flair. Jokic, as great as he is, is none of that. That's true. <laughs> so um, because of that, you know, he he's gonna obviously get pitched to that. I, I kind of expected him to get picked last. I really did. Because he's not fast, he's slow, sluggish, um, you know, not too quick. He's not like, it's not like, you know, he has a lot of flair to his game. It's very fundamental, um, yet precise. You know, it's stuff like that, that, you know, when you, when an average fan looks at it, it's like, okay, what's special about him? You know, it's not, it didn't, it, 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 it doesn't stand out to you. So I can see why he was picked to last. Um, even though, you know, he's a great player. He just doesn't bring what the all-star game itself is set up for. When and that's just the reality of it. Like you said, no knock against Jokic, but you know, I, I want to see flares. I want to be able to see the entertaining stuff, the athleticism, etc. That we know those guys can bring to the table, and that's where they were going with it in their own way. There's someone that actually's had something better along those lines compared to Jokic. 
So it doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, I wasn't surprised that he was the second to last pick. I, I just wanted to ask that question because I saw so much chit chatter about it at the top of the week with fans, you know, especially big time Jokic fans who believe that he's been heavily disrespected. And in some outlets he has been. I I'll admit that, but I understand why that was. Lori Marketing was the last pick who was a starter due to injury with Zion Williamson. He he was he was the last pick among the starters and technically the last pick among all the all-stars. But yeah, if they'd have reversed that, I would have preferred that because if if you had the reserves go last and whoever that last pick would have been among the reserves, yeah, they they would have had an added incentive to have a devilish grin and go out and, you know, do their thing for sure. And maybe that's something that they need to switch up down the road to avoid catastrophes such as this in future all-star games should they desire to keep the same format. But in regards to the other events, like what's your thoughts on the skills challenge now? Did you, did you like that? Cause like it, they, they changed a lot with that. Like you got a shooting round, you got the obstacle course round, you got the passing round. Like it, it kind of looked like a musical chairs act in an event that was constructed to like field time. Yeah, that's what I, that's pretty much what I viewed it as. I, I think I saw your tweet where you said you wish they brought back the bounce pass where you could throw the yeah, bounce pass. Yeah, like where you had to thread the needle. Yeah, the thread bounce the needle, pass and the yeah. chest pass. Like it, it, that, that to me was the original obstacle course. Right, right. I agree. I, 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 I'm I'm along those same lines where um I wish they wouldn't go back they would go back to that format. Obviously, this the skills challenge, they're trying to make it more inclusive group-wise. Yeah. As well, and uh as well as you know, the league is more in a shooting now. You know, it's a shooting league where at that time it wasn't always focused on that. Um, so you creating more opportunities for the NBA's new craft, you know, to be that much more exposed. Uh, so it doesn't surprise me, but I'm not gonna lie. I do, I do wish they can incorporate some of the old with the new, in that in that way. And I think that will make it that much more uh, intriguing because of the fact that some of those obstacles from before, and like the ones we like the one we just mentioned with the thread and needle pass and everything, that brought the interest. That brought that peaked the excitement because it was such a difficult obstacle course to do on the fly yeah like it brought the you know that's something that you know i wish they could have added or kept some of those old school elements to this new era of what this event looks like because of the fact that it still brought challenges it made it you know uh kind of hard for those players to fulfill you need the it's a challenge for a reason so that's just this is my take on that. I was I was cool with it, but I wish they did bring older elements and combine that with this new era of what this event looks like now. Yeah, I wouldn't mind that. And I also wouldn't mind it featuring wings and bigs who have the ability to handle the ball in the capacity that a point guard can. Because when we came up watching the skills challenge, you always saw the point guards taking part in it. Yeah. J. Kidd, Steve Nash, Darren Williams, Chris Paul. LeBron might have been the only wing I ever saw that really did it. D-Wade and LeBron, did it too. And, and LeBron. 
Yeah, yeah, D-Wade, yeah, D-Wade, LeBron did it, and then Kobe. Yeah. Kobe, Kobe took part in it one year, too, and, and held his own, might I add. But, like, you didn't really see too many big men doing that. Now, I feel like that would be a very interesting event. Like, I wouldn't mind seeing Jokic in the skills challenge against the top guards, or like Tyrese Halliburton and other guys. I wouldn't. Do I think he would win? No, but I would like to see it. Because right. when you think about his passing ability, it passes the, the test and he's kind of, he already is technically like a point center. So I would, you know, I, I would have loved to have seen a guy like him in it and be, I feel like it's ways that you could incorporate the old with the new. Only difference is the, the game is more positionless now than it's ever been before. So I, I would have loved to have seen the old school optical course where you have like a big man, a couple bigs, a couple guards, a couple wings. And let the person with the best time win. We don't have to do this bracket stuff where we separate the bigs from the guards and stuff like that. We don't have to do that. Just have it a, have it be a free-for-all and make guys go through it full speed. Because now they can kind of like coast through it. Yeah. And that's the thing I don't really care about because it's all about your points. Like, it's not really about your time. It's just about your points and, and winning each round to get the most points that you can. But before we move on, from the NBA All-Star talk, I want to ask you, because there's been so many All-Star games that we talked about, like, from the old days, like how the game used to be. And with this one not living up to what we have come up knowing it to be, what are your top, or shall I say most memorable, All-Star weekends in recent memory? Ooh, man. Um, I'm gonna go with 2000 in Toronto with Vince Carter in Oakland. Yeah, where he in Oakland, where he Vince Raptors, Carter. Yeah. yeah, I like that one. You got to use that one. Um, you got to use for me personally, I believe it's is it the 03 or 04? The one with uh Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan's last all star uh, game 03 in Atlanta, 03, yeah. Uh, oh man, that's a tough one, bro. That twenty, I think it's twenty sixteen. Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon in Toronto. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta go that one. Uh man. I uh, even though I was only like four, three, three or four years old at the time, you gotta go with the uh the ninety eight uh, in New York. Yeah, yeah, you gotta. I go know what you mean. One. You gotta go with that one. MJ's last year, the emergence of Kobe. I mean, come on. That was classic. And, whew. Yeah, you got a brother on the spot. I think for me, it probably is going to be 2020. You got to put 2020 in there just because of the significance of it and the fact that the game itself was so good, so intriguing, down the wire, down the stretch. You were on your toes uh, watching that game from start to finish for the most part. Um, yeah, you got to go 2020 All-Star Weekend for that one. Those are my top five. Okay, so, so for me, when I when I think about my top five most memorable All-Star Weekends, I don't feel like you could really go wrong with anyone between 2000 in Oakland, 2001 in Washington, and 2002 in Philadelphia. All of them were top-notch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All of them were. 2000 in Oakland, like, Jason Williams, White Chocolate, 
he put the the rising stars game, which was then known as the rookie challenge, on the map. Right. To me, he put that on the map. I'll never forget the behind the back elbow pass to Rafe LaFrance. I'm still upset to this day that Rafe did turn that into an assist and just lay it up or dunk it. Like you, <laughs> you, you can't miss it. You can't miss a shot after a pass that sweet. And then right. to have Vince Carter as well as Steve Francis who put on a show for the ages that if he'd have put that on a year before or the year after, he could have easily won. But it just goes to show you how just phenomenal Vince was. And in my opinion, I tell people this all the time. He ruined the dunk contest in a good way, but he really ruined it. Because no one has, in my opinion, has ever been able to top what he did. So I put that in there. And then, of course, Shaq and, and Tim Duncan getting co-MVP honors, running numbers for, with the West. That Yeah, that's up there for me. And then I'd say, I, I would say 2006 in Houston. That was an under-the-radar one. Hmm. I really enjoyed watching that one. Like Andre Iguodala in that dunk contest against Nate Robinson. Yeah, yeah. We yeah, always yeah. talk about how Aaron Gordon got robbed. I feel like Andre got robbed. You go back on yeah. YouTube and you watch that, that dunk contest. Man, the stuff he was doing that night, he should have won that. He should have won that easily. Easily. But that's another story for another day. And then that was Bron's first All-Star game where he won an MVP. It was his second but it was his first All-Star Game MVP. So that, that stood out to me. Then I would say, of course, 98 New York, like you mentioned. MJ's last is a bull. Kobe's first All-Star Game. That was just a perfect atmosphere. If you want to know the truth, that's the first NBA All-Star Game I can recall ever watching in my life. Yeah. is a, a four-year-old myself. So... I was just enamored with the talent that I was seeing at both ends of the floor. And that's one of the games that made me fall in love with just basketball as a whole. And 2001 in Washington, the show that Dez Mason put on in the dunk contest. And then seeing that East versus West all-star game where the West had like a 20 plus point lead and Allen Iverson, he just went off and exploded. Hell of a performance, Stephon Marbury. To me, that that game epitomizes what fans want today's crop of all stars to play like on that stage. Yeah. If you go back and watch that fourth quarter, just them last two minutes alone, it felt like a playoff game. And last but not least, of course, twenty twenty Chicago. I feel like that's been the best all star game, uh, not only uh, all star weekend, rather. Not only this decade thus far, but probably within the last like 10 years, if I'm gonna keep it a buck with you, just because I was at the Rising Stars game between World USA, Luca hit the half court shot, Zion mm -hmm. been the rim. You just had so much young talent that was trying to make a name for themselves and, and, and doing their thing. And then you had Buddy Hill knock down the last shot with the money ball in the corner pocket to knock off Devin Booker, and he needed it to win and got it, you know, beat him by one point. That was big. And then you had that dunk contest between the airplane, Derrick Jones Jr., and Aaron Gordon, and, and, of course, the game itself, need I say more. And it was kind of fitting to see Kawhi win on a night where they was honoring not only just Kobe but Gigi. 
Yeah. With the with the number two and him being the only guy in the all-star game that actually wears the number two to win that award, which was the first Kobe Bryant all-star game MVP award. Yeah, that was cool. Like that, the whole energy around that weekend was dope, even though it was cold. If you had the access to be in the United Center during either one of those three nights, you was in for a fantastic treat. And I I, I really hope that we can see an all-star game like that down the road again because, man, those guys came and, and held it down in the wake of Kobe's passing like it was supposed to be done. But that's my that's my top five. It's a nice list. Yeah, it's a very nice the, list, man. Yeah, that's my, that's my top five. Them two thousands All Star games. That was tough because every year, man, you had something to look forward to. It to me, that was the golden standard of NBA All Star games. Was in the two thousands. Yeah, yeah, you could definitely, you can definitely, uh, definitely say that for yeah. sure. But I want to get into this conversation about the buyout market. Had a lot of things go down in the middle of the all-star festivities as we know that the trade deadline is officially passed. Kevin Love is headed to the Miami Heat after agreeing to a contract buyout with the Cleveland Cavs. Russell Westbrook signing with the LA Clippers after negotiating a buyout with Utah. And Patrick Beverly is returning home to play not too far from where his career all started at Marshall High School as the former all-defensive guard and well-traveled veteran is in the midst of finalizing a deal to join the hometown Chicago Bulls. What do you think all these moves mean, not only for these respective players, but these respective teams, now that they've all come about? They're trying to make good playoff pushes. They're trying to make sure that uh, they're well-equipped for a playoff run that has a chance to go you know, depending on the team, pretty far. Uh, Miami, yeah, they needed big man depth. They needed depth uh, badly. For you to get Kevin Love, who's an all-star caliber uh, champion, knows what it takes to win. And on top of that, I'm pretty sure he got the reassurance knowing that LeBron played there and won championships there in Miami. He knows and can expect what it means to be in a winning culture like that. Um so I think that reassurance for him kind of helps. And the fact that that's taking place and he's get the back, he's backing up Bam Adebayo, it gives him good, uh, good assurance. They still need a point guard badly. Um, but, you know, that's, that's either here nor there. I've actually heard that, especially since we're talking about John Wall, who hasn't been mentioned or picked up yet, John Wall to Miami may actually become a reality now if they can move some things around. Um, interest, because interest-wise, I've heard that, is it there's some mutual interest there um so i wouldn't be surprised if john wall at the miami you know knowing pat riley and knowing this might be his final go around uh he's gonna he's gonna try to do everything he can to put to 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 put miami in the best position for a playoff push and i wouldn't be surprised if john wall goes there to fulfill that point guard void um when you talk about russell westbrook i mean this dude let's put it this way if he had a chance to leave LA and didn't leave LA and went to the other team, that should tell you something. Like that should tell you that I'm, you know, I'm no, I'm not. People thought that the Lakers, you know, with him being Lakers, it, was, it could have been the big spotlight and stuff like that. Or he just 
couldn't handle playing at home. Well, he's still playing at home for the other team that may not get as much spotlight. But if he can play like the bench Russell Westbrook player that we know he's been playing all season long, if he could play at that type of level for the Clippers, Clippers have a chance to go pretty far. They already have a nice lineup. They already got good uh, good uh, bench depth. And they have a winning coach in Ty Lue. That, that the formula is there. But having Russell Westbrook, who is the upgrade from John Wall, um, as your point guard for the rest of the season, and bearing you can keep Kawhi and PG healthy for this playoff push, that's, that's a good pickup. I, 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 I can see how they could make that work. And I think because of the fact that Tyloo has played and coached so many guys, so many superstars, um, he knows what it takes to work with a guy like Russell Westbrook. Um, and I believe this, and I believe that's that that can that can that has a chance to work, especially since Russell Westbrook really knows that after this season, the the future for him is 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 kind of uncertain. Um, so I think he's gonna do what he can to make it work in the with the Clippers and I and why not do it with someone that you know he's played well with in Paul George and be mindful of the fact that Paul George had his best year statistically playing next to Russell Westbrook and when he was in Oklahoma City. Indeed. So if there's anyone that can get the best out of Paul George, it honestly really can be Russell Westbrook. Um so that then I think the Clippers that's a for them knowing that that really could that really could be a pickup and honestly a blessing in disguise for them if things run smoothly like and all honestly it can. Um talking about Pete Bev coming home. I laughed my butt off when I saw this. I'm sure you did. I, I did as well. <laughs> oh my gosh. I laughed my butt off. Cause because the reality is the Bulls just showed you what they feel about their team. We soft as hell. That's pretty much <laughs> what they said. We are soft as hell. Ain't no way, you know, because when you talk about point guards, Pat Beverly is not a traditional point guard. He's not, okay? Um, and it's not like he's having his best shooting year. It's not like he's, you know, he has capabilities of it, you know. He's just not, he's someone that offensively you can question, you can like kind of scratch your head and see how this works. But what he does bring is defensive tenacity. What he does bring is toughness. What he does bring is edge. Bulls don't have any of that. And quite frankly, they need it. That's just the reality. They need that. And because he's bringing that, Pete Bell's going to rub some feathers up. And I'm loving it. I'm going to love it because they need that. I would love to see Pat Bev chew out Zach Levine in the middle of a game. I love to see it. Like I would love, <laughs> I would love to see stuff like that because we often talk about this all the time. Billy Donovan is a great respected coach, but some, but sometimes he's too much Mr. Nice Guy. Pete Bev is gonna come through and be like, "Yo, coach, what's good?" <laughs> he's gonna push buttons up in that locker room. He's going to do it, and I and the and that's the what, and I believe that's what the Bulls need. And Arturis Karnisovic and Mark Eversley, they know that. They know that. Billy knows that. That's why he wanted Russ so bad. Because he knew Russ was going to ruffle, even though he's a nice guy, he's also going to ruffle some feathers. 
He's also going to play hard every night. There's no, you, there's no shortcutting with him. Pete Bell's the same way. He's going to play hard every night. He's not going to shortcut you. So therefore, he's not going to let you just relax. He's going to be all up in your grill 24-7. And the greats work well with that. I think DeMar DeRosa is going to love it. I think DeMar DeRosa is going to love it. I think Booch, being as calm and collective as he is, he'll like it. He'll understand it. I'm going to be honest with you, though. I don't know if Zach going to like this. I don't know. Because this is the first time that Zach is actually going to play with someone that's going to really drill him. That's really going to get in his grill. That's going to push his buttons. That's going to, at times, potentially, you know, ruffle some feathers with. He hasn't played with anyone as a tough guy in his league. So with Zach being the face forefront of that now, of the franchise, and you bringing in someone that's going to bring that toughness, I want to see how he responds. I really do. Especially since he's said all the right things. You know, I believe in my teammates. I'm confident in what I can do. I'm confident in my teammates. We should be winning. There's no offensive identity. He's said all the right stuff. Pat Beverly's going to put what he said to the fire now. He's going to say, yo, there's no reason why if I can help a team in Minnesota go to the playoffs, they haven't been in the playoffs in some years, there's no reason why I can't do this in Chicago too. You want this that bad? All right, let's do this. And I'm going to hold you to it. He's going to bring the accountability factor that the Bulls don't have. So as much as I laugh my butt off because I don't know how this, I could, I don't know how other players are going to handle it. I also was like, this is good because this is what they need. And front office and coaching in Billy Donovan, they know that. They they knew that. And they said, we're going to, you know, we're going to do this and see how things go, see how they respond, see if they're really mentally tough enough to handle this new shift that's going to be happening in the locker room, especially since Billy Donovan has repeated the same thing over and over and over again. Mentally, you have the team has to be tough enough to move on, to continue to push forward into the next into the next game, next play, next defensive stop, et cetera, and learn to play 48 minutes of basketball, which is something the Bulls have, have not been able to do. I think Pipe Bev is going to push the buttons to see if we can really improve this year but for the rest of the season. If the Bulls are, since the Bulls are consistently still talking about, well, we got playoff hopes. Yeah, not only push some buttons, but you know he's going to be motivated playing in front of his family and friends to try and elevate this team back into the play-in conversation, if not potentially higher, depending on how the final home stretch of the season fares for them. But you know he'll be more than motivated. And I I agree with the Pat Bev signing. I don't know how it works for them offensively. I have a lot of questions about that. I, I'll admit that I, I won't lie to you. but. Yeah, he's going to challenge Zach, but he's also one of those guys where I believe if you have him on your team, you love him. If yeah. you don't, you can't stand him. Yeah. And I know he's going to challenge him because I've had the pleasure of talking to guys who have played beside him and people who know him, such as a James Harden. Yeah. And I know they had many of their battles and squabbles in Houston. 
some documented, some not so much, but it, it's still, and it's still love there, but he, he's not the easiest to, to, to get along with, even if he's your teammate, but you love being in war with him and you, and you do cherish the wins that you have besides him because you know he's going to give a lot of effort. And it does say a lot about this Bulls team when they make a move like that is in the manner in which you allude. Yes, this is a team that we always question their mental toughness, their mental resolve, and their willingness to play with physicality more often than not. And with a team that is struggling defensively, something that was their calling card a season ago, it makes sense to add a guy like Pat Bev, even if it's for a mini trial run, as they try and resolve what they can after, you know, basically a a middle-tier start or average at best start that hasn't translated into any upward progress for this team that made it to the playoffs for the first time in five seasons just last year. But getting to the other two signings, I like the Kevin Love signing for Miami, and I'll tell you why. He provides them with a lot of size that they sorely were in need of in the front court, and he's going to help them stretch the floor. We know him as a career 37% shooter from beyond the arc. This season, he's shooting 35% from three-point land. And that's what Eric Sposer is going to need him to do. And what this move allows them to do is to move Caleb Martin, who has given him some solid minutes at the four, but he's undersized, back to the bench. Mm -hmm. As opposed to having to play a bevy of minutes. And it gives Kevin Love an opportunity to try and maximize his value in this new situation in South Beach as he looks to reap the dividends this upcoming summer should things work out. In my opinion, it's kind of like a lightweight version of Chris Bosch in their offense. Mm -hmm. You know, you talk about how he has ties to Miami in a way due to playing with LeBron, but Kevin Love's skill set is a lot similar to Chris Bosch. You know, they got a lot of finesse games. So I I, I, I like that move for Miami. I, I do believe that Miami does need to get a guard, as you alluded to. John Wall to Miami would be interesting. I kind of thought after seeing the Russell Westbrook news come out earlier at the top of the week that John Wall would probably end up coming to Chicago. But yeah. that remains to be seen after this Patrick Beverly signing. But I I love Russ going to L.A. Because what that shows me, or to the Clippers, he was already in L.A. He just switched locker room. Right. But I, I'll tell you why I love that move. Because when I look at this Clippers roster, they have done everything that they can to take as much pressure off of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. They bought guys who they're familiar with either at each deadline in the last couple of years via trade or the buyout market to team up with them. Norman Powell and Kawhi Leonard go back to their days in Toronto playing besides one another when they won a championship. You brought up how Paul George had the best year of his career in 2018-19 in his final season with OKC beside Russell Westbrook, who not only led the league, and assist that season and route the Paul George finishing second overall 
in the race for the scoring title. He also averaged a triple-double that year and was among the top 10 in scoring himself. So they have a great chemistry with one another, as well as Eric Gordon, who Westbrook has some time playing besides in Houston, Mm -hmm. running that second unit when James Harden was on the bench. So I, I, I like this move a lot because they have multiple playmakers and they can attack you in so many different ways. And as long as this team can find a way to mesh and gel through the little practice time that they have, as well as in games, they'll be fine. I know they have the toughest schedule in the league that remains among like opposing winning percentage, but I'm not really worried about the Clippers. And I'm not worried about Westbrook finding success there because everybody talks about how, well, he can't really shoot the three ball that well. He won't have to. Because he's right. going to have a ton of shooters next to him, whether that's PG himself, whether that's Claw, whether that's Nick Batum, Rob Covington, however they want to run him. Whether he starts or not, I don't think he have a problem with that. It just shows that he's committed to wanting to win a championship. And I believe if he makes the most out of this opportunity for a Clippers team that, in my opinion, would be a dangerous outcome playoff time, he'll be able to cash in significantly and silence a lot of critics while doing so in the process. So I'm a big fan of both of those moves. And I expect the Clippers to try and utilize Russ in, in a starting role. But I, I, don't, I don't knock it. it. It's against the grain from what I thought they would do because they said they didn't want a traditional point guard. They wanted a two-way point guard. Well, they got a traditional point guard in a sense, but it's not the worst move. And then, oh, by the way, you got Terrence Mann who could play a little point guard himself when you need him to. I, I, I like it a lot. And Ty Lue, if there's anybody who can make it work, I, I, I agree with you. I do think it's Ty Lue. He does know how to manage stars. He's coached pretty much every top-notch star in the game from Kyrie, Braun, mm-hmm. Kawhi, Paul George, you name him, and now Russ. So I think he'd be welcomed in fine with no issue i was kind of shocked when they said it was going to be between the wizards and the bulls i believe chris haynes a bleach reported reported that prior yeah. to the top of the week but i'm glad to see that he ended up going to the clippers and i believe that it just goes to show how much power paul george has because he was definitely put pushing for it and advocating in the media for why the clippers needed to sign russ well i guess steve Ballmer. And Lawrence Frank got the message. But and I'm glad you mentioned Steve Bowman because when we talk when we talked about the Kyrie Irving trade, we talked about how Mark Cuban, you know, there's a, people thought that it was, it was gonna be a lot of uncertainty. There's no guarantee Kyrie's gonna sign back to the Mavs after this season. And there's and that and that is very true. But if there's one owner that can help persuade Kyrie to stay, it's Mark Cuban. Because Mark Cuban's a players is a player's owner. He understands players. He understands, you know, that you know, he understands the importance of stars and what it takes to win, considering he won his championship with Dirk Nowitzki, Jason Kidd, the Matrix, and those guys. And he has shown that he is willing to do whatever it takes money-wise to get it done. He will spend that top dollar to get what he needs. Steve Ballmer. Is like Mark Cuban on steroids when you talk about bread. 
And when you talk about his drive and his interest in the franchise, he, he's already been very clear. He'll do whatever it takes to make sure the Clippers are known in L.A. And that's already uh, happening in its own way with them, you know, eventually getting their own stadium and things of that sort. So if Paul George convinced Steve Ballmer to bring Russ Westbrook in and Russ succeeds, you want to talk about cashing in? Oh, he'll cash in. And it's probably going to be with the Clippers, too, because Steve Ballmer is willing to pay the bread to get it done. So I think that's a significant component that can go lost in all of this because, yeah, this is a trial run for Russell Westbrook. But at the same time, if this trial run works, imagine him staying and having a full season with Kawhi and PG along with the other guys. Next year, that's that's already going to be a problem for a lot of teams next year. Because all the Clippers got to do is just retool. And, you know, that's going to that, be significant moving forward. If this trial run does work, even if it doesn't even lead to a championship, but you see a chemistry there that built, that's built enough on both ends of the floor where they can see Russ really being, the um, you know, a better version of Russ that we saw in L.A. And with the Lakers, it's a wrap. It's a wrap. Yeah, and one team I I didn't see interested in Russell Westbrook that I would like to discuss just briefly before moving into our next topic, and I don't get why they weren't, is the Milwaukee Bucks. Mm. Because as much as Drew Holiday has helped to carry the load on nights when Giannis hasn't either had it or struggled, you know, due to carrying an exorbitant load and being one of the highest league leaders and usage rate and so forth. You can't never have enough shot creators come playoff time when the game is predicated and how you operate in the half court sets. And when you consider the health of Chris Middleton, which has been up in the air throughout the entire season due to the issues with either his wrist or his knee. And you yeah. have Bobby Portis down, although he's expected to be returning in the coming weeks. I just thought he could have given that second unit over there an incredible boost, an incredible boost, because you could have paired him with Bobby Portis in a pick and pop game. You could have also surrounded him with shooters akin to what the Clippers are about to do now. I just don't understand why they didn't make that move, but it just goes to show you, as you alluded to, why the Clippers are so well respected by people like us, even in spite of their lack of success as a team and only getting to one Western Conference Finals in the history of their franchise, albeit in the current Paul George and Kawhi era. They trying. Oh, yeah. They are trying, and and they and they and they're trying to win at all costs. So I, I respect the move. And if the season were to end as of today, while we're recording this at the top of the week, the Clippers would be facing the Suns in round one of the playoffs. That's a rematch of the 2021 Western Conference Finals. You With mean to Katie tell me you don't think Russ? Right. You mean to tell me you don't think that the Clippers would be motivated? You don't think they wouldn't be motivated? Oh, they're going to be motivated because it's the team that knocked them out two years ago. And plus, last year, 
They didn't make it past the play-in tournament and into the playoffs. Kawhi and PG was both dealing with injuries in and out the lineup. Kawhi didn't even play, you know, all last year, as we know. So, man, when I look at this Clippers team and I see the talent from top to bottom, I feel like, why can't they win it? I'm not saying they should be the favorite, but why can't they win it? And I think they're going to have to feel that way too. And I, I love it for Russ. I just do, because it shows me that he understands that he's done everything that there is to do in the game from an individual standpoint. He wants to win. Nobody can say that he's not at least trying to go about getting that gold ball come time in June, four months from now. But before we go, as we enter the closing segment of our show, I want to ask you, Josh, what are the things that have stood out to you across the league through the first half of 22-23? And what are you looking forward to seeing as we're set to enter the second half of the NBA season? Oh, man. I I think there's a couple of things for me. The first I have to say is all the 50, 60 plus balls we didn't see all season long. It's so many of them. <laughs> is, I think they said, I think it was reported that this is the year where we, the, where we had the most 50, 60 point games in a season uh, so far. So one, the, the scoring and, and who's been, do, who's doing these uh scoring these numbers as well. I think it's incredible to watch um, and to acknowledge. I also think, you know, this is one of the this was one of the most active and busy trade deadlines we had in a long time. I mean, yeah, trade deadlines in free in the past couple of years have been, you know, active, but it wasn't like this active. It wasn't this mega, uh, from a mega star perspective, this uh big. So um I think the trade deadline definitely is it was some is something. And how can I not acknowledge the fact that I think seven out of the top 10 scores are averaging over 30 a game. And on top of that, players like Jokic, who was averaging a triple double at the rate that he is, um, you know, those things, you just, those are, those are just things that are impressive, man. You just can't ignore those. Um, but what to look forward to. I'm honestly looking forward to the playoff push. I want to see the teams that are at the. I want to see how the teams are at the bottom, uh, of the of their respective uh, conferences, rise to the occasion. I want to see how how they really improve. And quite honestly, obviously, you know, recovering Chicago, covering the Bulls, et cetera. I want to see how the Bulls respond to this move. This is the first time you actually see some major shift from this franchise. And like we've talked about it before, Pat Beverly is a you a player you love to play with but he's also a player that you know depending on how who you are and your makeup you may not be the best of friends with <laughs> so i want to see how this works um and i want to see if the bulls really gonna view how they how they do this season to see if you know how they're gonna move forward from this pet from this second half of the season going into next year is are we gonna still see the same mediocrity are we still going to see, oh, well, if the Bulls made the plan, we made the tournament, so that works. We're okay with that. Or are we going to see a different approach? Because now you got a full season to see what your current nucleus looks like. And you wanted that. You got what you wanted. 
and you see the results of it. What are you going to do moving forward to help ensure and you have a better season than what you're having this year? Because this is this is uh this year has been a disaster. When you talk about standards and constantly viewing yourself as a winning culture, and quite frankly, you're not. So those are things I'm gonna be looking forward to, man. Um, on top of all bunch of other stuff, but those are ones for sure that stand out to me that I want to uh, pay attention to. Yeah, you bring up the amount of 50 balls that have been witnessed in the league. Just looking at the total for this year alone, since the turn of the new year, there have been nine 50-point games thus far. And we are still in February. In just a year of 2023 alone, there have been games, nine games, with at least 50 points or more. And when you look at who is producing these games, as you alluded to, Josh, these are guys who look like they're well on their way to the Hall of Fame when it's all said and done. Like, Luka has three games with at least 50 or more this season. And that's saying a lot. Joel Embiid has multiple 50-point games this year with two. Giannis has three. Like, this is it's insane, this scoring boom. And we talked about it a month ago coming into the new year, yeah. how it was an uptick in scoring and how you have several players averaging at least 30 or more points a game. And speaking of points per game, to add to your point, I think we're in the middle of a scoring race of the, for the ages right now between two players that I just named, Luka Doncic and Joel Embiid. Luka Doncic is the lead leading scorer right now with 33.3 points per game. Joel Embiid is only behind him by .2 with 33.1. <laughs> this is looking like a scoring race that may come down to the last day of the regular season in a manner that was akin to George Gervin and the Skywalker, as they used to call him back in the day, Yep, David Thompson. It's looking like one of those all-time great scoring races, and it's a race that I think a lot of fans need to have their eye on. Now, it's outside of individual things that stuck out to me, during the first half, I have to give credit to Boston. Boston yeah. looks like a team that is not going anywhere. They look like the team to beat not only in the Eastern Conference, but in the league. There were so many times last year when I would have shows with you and Cal where I would tell you guys during the playoffs, I thought Boston was the best team in the league. But how some nights they didn't play like it. Right. Well, they playing like it this year, pretty much every night. I see them. Whether they got a guy down or not, Malcolm Brogdon has given that team a steady presence off of the bench, looking like a six-man. Yep. Derek White, on nights where Malcolm hasn't been able to play, has stepped in, including into the starting lineup as of recently, with Marcus Smart being down with his ankle. Team hasn't missed the beat. Jalen Brown, he's out for a couple games. No worries. Jason Tatum playing like an MVP candidate. 
sort of like how we saw them last night. It's just the epitome of how great they've been this year. And they've been so great that they just recently removed the interim tag from Joe Mazzula and made him the head coach. This is looking like a team that is a force to be reckoned with for once and for all. And that says a lot to me because when you consider the Celtics organization over the last five years, in spite of them being a very successful organization and having deep playoff runs, getting to the Eastern Conference Finals and, and falling short just two wins of the gold ball season ago, they took a lot of lumps and bruises to get to this point. Mm-hmm. And they looking like a team that has not only learned to fly, but they're ready to fly. Yeah. And you could kind of compare them to the Bulls in 1990, 1991. They took all them lumpings at the hands of the bad boys. Celtics took a lot of lumpings to LeBron. Couple to Miami. Bounced back against Miami last year. Get there for the first time. Lose to a more experienced team at Golden State who had been there and done that. And I think it showed as the series that went along. Now, they look like the team that knows not only what it takes, but what they have to do in order to capture that 18th banner and put it up in the TD Garden where we know they don't put Eastern Conference championship banners up or division banners up. Only championships and retired numbers above that parquet floor. That's a team that I look forward to seeing a lot of as we enter the second half of the season, as well as the race for the play-in. Yeah. Oklahoma City, currently a half a game up on Utah for that 10th and final play-in spot. Team with a very promising future. Has a lot of draft capital. But when you watch this team play under Mark Dagnall, you wouldn't be able to tell. Josh Giddy put on a show in the Rising Stars game. He's looking like the point guard of the future in Oklahoma City. All the while playing beside another point guard in Shea Gilders Alexander, who he putting up 30 a night as we speak, and is fifth in the league in scoring with 30.8 points a game. This team don't even know how to tank right, man. <laughs> this was a team that we thought was going to be up there with Houston, San Antonio, and Orlando trying to vie for that number one overall pick. Yeah. Yet, they haven't. And Utah, not that far behind, this was a team that we didn't expect much from. That's going to be a very exciting race. And what those two teams show or should show these fans who, you know, analyze and watch these games on a night-to-night basis is that you can't always judge a team by preseason prediction. Mm-hmm. And you sure as hell can't judge teams who have great front offices, great scouting departments, that know how to draft well. Because they always shock you when you don't expect them to. Yeah, it, it's... Those, those, those two teams are definitely... Um eye-opening stories to follow 
but it also shows that you also can't just judge them by their records either. Yeah. Because when you, because their records say they're at the bottom pool, barely trying to make a play in tournament. But when you think about the way they play every night on both ends of the floor, they beat some of the best of the best teams. They have. They're competing. They're winning, they're winning close games at times. Um, so for them to have that youth and excelling at that rate without, especially Oklahoma City, without their number two overall player in Chet Holgram, that's impressive because you're about to get him to come back next season. And I, he's going to have a chip on his shoulder considering he didn't get a chance to fight for that rookie of the year uh, award this year. And, you know, with, with, team, with teams rising like that in the West, he's going he's gonna to be a big help to SGA who's already the promising star that's already that's, that that they have locked in over there. So it's going like so it's it's interesting to see how those teams go and you know we can't forget about the rise of the Kings too. No one Absolutely. saw them no one saw them being a top 3 top 4 team in the Western Conference. Um and they're doing it kind of in a way with ease. Um obviously we still got 20 a little close to 30 more games to go. So we'll see how they maintain that. But they're definitely a storyline as well. And the fact that they had two all-stars this year, and Darian Fox and the, uh, uh, Sabonis, this shows that the future is going to be even that much brighter for them moving forward too. And, you know, Mike Brown has really, uh, really helped transform that front office, especially since it's been ran so poorly for so long. Um they have a, they actually have a coach for the future now. They have a coach that um that can relate to these young guys and that can help them win. And Mike Mike Brown's championship pedigree as an assistant is bringing over and changing the culture of what it means to play winning basketball consistently over there. That's going they're going to be a team to look out for past this season. We talk about growing and improving the team, especially in the free agent market, because it's becoming that much more appealing now of a team to sign with. So th- those are definitely some amazing – we had some amazing storylines this year um, and some great basketball to follow. I'm, de- I'm looking forward to seeing how it all goes down now as we're getting ready to head towards the playoff runs. Yeah, and you brought up the Kings, and I'm glad you did. That was a team I expected to see take a turn, but you're right. If you'd have told me that this would be a team that was in the top three in the West, would have the second-best offensive rating – in all of basketball and have two all-stars with Fox and Domas Sabonis, who easily in his own right could have been a starter this year with the numbers that he's posting out in California State Capitol. I wouldn't have believed you. If you'd have told me that prior to season, I I wouldn't have believed you. I would have believed you if you told me De'Aaron Fox was an all-star and that this was a team that would make some noise and potentially be in that play-in conversation. But to be in that top three, even though a lot can change in this Western Conference now that is much more loaded than it was just a month ago, this is a team to watch. And Monty McNair, the general manager and the president of basketball operations of the Kings, who came by where the Houston Rockets and worked under the likes of Daryl Morey, He's done a a hell of a job there and he's making a very strong case for executive of the year come seasons in. But I want to thank everybody who took out the time to listen to yet 
another edition of Open Run presented to you by War Media. Make sure to check out all of our great shows at War Media Vids on our YouTube channel. Check out all the social media platforms we got going on. You can find great content, great shows across the board from my guys such as our producer and host of the Ed Bad Podcast, Saul Rodriguez with Miles Porter, and so much more. Thank you all once again. My name is Gabriel Wilkins, signing off besides my great co-host, Josh Hicks. So long, everybody.